Good morning, church. Great to see everyone. Good to be back. Praise the Lord. Great to see some uh, new faces. Good to see some guests with us this morning. Um, Let's go ahead and bow down before the Lord as we open up God's word and continue in our study. Our Father, we just bow down before you. We understand that this is your truth, this is your word, and it bears authority in our lives and and help us, I pray, to treat it as such. Not coming out of my mouth, but it is Christ who is speaking to us this morning and and therefore humble us, um, persuade us of this truth. These words are life. The decisions that we are called to make is a matter of life and death. These are not trivial words. Help us, I pray, to respond properly. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as we heard already, we're entering a pretty exciting season, summer season. We're kicking off our Park Fellowship tonight, so I want to encourage all of you to come. We'll We'll have a little devotional. We'll sing a few songs before we get up and stretch. So it's exciting. Next Sunday is baptism. Uh, What an incredible time of God's uh, testimony of grace to witness uh, three individuals testifying of uh, what we will be discussing this morning, choosing to follow Christ and submitting to to him. We got summer camp, so just a lot's going on. I hope you're excited. I hope you're taking the time this summer to also testify to someone about Jesus Christ. It's a perfect opportunity. Many people are outside hanging out, doing things, so please um, use that opportunity. Pray. Pray for opportunity and seize it when the Lord gives it to you. Well, open up your Bibles to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. We've been in Matthew since the first week of December. We started out with Matthew 1.1 for our Christmas series, and we began a new series called The Gospel of the Kingdom in chapter 3, and our intention is to go through chapter 9. So we will be in Matthew uh, through September, and then in October we will begin a new series uh, focusing on the Reformation. But uh, for now, we will be in Matthew. And what an exciting time of study that he has been here in Matthew uh, 5 through 7. We are coming to the end. We're coming to a turning point here in Matthew 7, verse 13 and verse 14. We've gone through the introduction. We've gone through the body of the sermon here. Now, beginning with verse 13 of chapter 7, Jesus starts up his conclusion. And here's his conclusion. He is calling people to respond. Just like any preacher would, towards the end of his sermon, he gives some action items. Or throughout the sermon, don't be mere listeners. Respond, react properly accordingly. And once again, Jesus being the masterful teacher that he is, he's employing all kinds of illustrations, all kinds of metaphors to make his 
final point just so vivid for us. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever planned a vacation? I know you have. I know you have. Now, maybe you booked a hotel once. Maybe you love the um, all-inclusive Cancun hotels, or you like the Florida hotels, or maybe Hawaii, and um, you basically booked it, and you just could not wait to go and experience and take it all in. The city vibes, the hotel, the resort, the food, and all of that. Or maybe you're not the resort type, maybe you're not the hotel type, maybe you booked a campground by the ocean somewhere, or maybe out in the middle of nowhere, and you're just planning, and it's three months away, but you're already beginning to pack, and, and you're just anxious to be there because this is your time to relax. But then something happened. You, you may have met a friend who actually been to that place. Like he booked that resort three years ago. Or, or he went to that campground. He stayed there. And he's telling you things you don't want to hear. Like, bro, this is a terrible place. You should not go to that resort. The food there is bad. The RV hookup that you think you're going to have is no longer there. The place stinks flat out. And, and he's telling you these things and you begin to, to process them and it just sounds terrible, right? What you were excited about just five minutes ago, all of a sudden, you wanna go back, hop on, log on, and you wanna cancel that reservation, not to pay any late fees. Right? What, what's your reaction? Do you stay? Do you like, nah, I, I saw the photos, bro. Like, I've seen it myself. I read the description. It's there. Look online and everything that's online is true, right? Or do you switch that reservation? Do you cancel and say, man, I need to talk to someone who knows, someone who's experienced, someone who's been there, and I'm going to go to that place because I trust their testimony. Have you heard of a proverb that says, to know the road ahead, ask those who are coming back. Uh, you're on the trail, you're hiking up, and, and you've been there maybe before, or maybe this is a new trail, and you're like, I thought this was a two-mile hike, but it seems like it's five miles. How long? How much longer? This hill is just too steep for me to climb. What do I do? And, and as people come back, you begin to ask, hey, how long? How much farther? To know the road ahead, ask those who are coming back. In these verses before us, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus describes for us two gates. He describes for us two roads and two destinations. And listen, friend, he knows the gates. He knows the gates. Christ knows the roads. Christ knows the destination. And that is so important for us this morning. He knows the end from the beginning. And so he warns all who are on the way. Friend, choose this path here. 
He knows the truth and therefore he seeks to redirect people to the right gate, to the right way. In fact, if you just observe the content of Matthew chapter seven, he'll go on to describe also two trees and two types of fruits, two professions, two builders, two foundations, all to emphasize one point, and that is there are only two options. There are only two choices. Which one are you going to choose? I know, trust me. We just read Psalm 1, for the Lord knows the way. Do you trust Christ? Do you take him at his word? Or, or do you still think that, ah, you know, perhaps there is another way. Perhaps there's another option. Christ says, no, you got to choose. And there's only one way to life. Choose this way. Jesus does what, Matt, uh, what Moses did in Deuteronomy 30, 19, after laying out the law, he calls the nation and he tells them, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have said before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. So this morning, Jesus calls all of his listeners to consider and to choose what path are you on, friend? Have you considered the end of your journey? And if this morning you're on the narrow path, having gone through the narrow gate, then your responsibility before you, before the Lord this morning, is to praise the Lord, to acknowledge him as your savior, and also to warn those who are on the way. You know, you've seen you trust the word. Are you warning those who are still walking, who are still on the broad way? However, if you're not on that way, friend, be warned. This is a warning for you. Matthew 7, 13. Once you go there, we will read our context. We'll begin with verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name performed many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So going back to verse 13 and and 14, here's the overall thrust of what we're discussing here, what Jesus tells us, what he commands us here this morning. Contrary to popular opinion, there's only one way to life. That's it. Doesn't get any more simpler than that. There's only one way to life, and that way is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Now, these verses are straightforward. They're about as clear and simple as they come. Jesus first, at the beginning of verse 13, he gives a command, and then he follows that up with two reasons for why this command is so urgent. Pay attention, he says. One is negative, the other is positive, and so this morning we will just structure our study in exactly the same way. So consider the first point. Choose the narrow gate. Choose the narrow gate. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Now, the command is pretty clear. You got to get in. You got to get in through the narrow gate, but where do you get into? What happens after? What's he calling us? What's he calling the original listeners to enter into? He doesn't tell us here in this exact verse, but the context is clear, isn't it? We've been here for months. The sermon is one, and the theme of the sermon is singular, the kingdom of heaven. Go back to Matthew chapter 4, 23. Here, the author, Matthew, he reports that Jesus is going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom. Here's the good news. The king is here. The king is here. And if the king is here, then the kingdom is at hand. For centuries, the prophets have been predicting and looking forward to a time when the Messiah would come. And finally, Messiah appears. He shows up and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now is the time Messiah comes to establish a kingdom. But there's a problem. There's a huge problem. People, they can't enter. They can't get in. Oh, they, they most definitely think they're in. They think we're ready. Just tell us we'll get in. We'll go. We're ready to accept the king. Remember what happened in In a previous chapter, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, he, he calls the nation out, the children of Israel. In 3 9, he says this, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. What did he tell him? You repent and bear fruit. You're not ready. Just because you have the same blood flowing through you as Abraham did, and maybe you can even trace your lineage back to him, that doesn't get you in. You think it does, but it doesn't. Now, this, in this sermon here, Jesus addresses the ultimate question, who can get in? Who can get in? So in 517, Jesus says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
And then in verse 20 of the same chapter, 520, he says, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless, unless you have something that I have. In other words, you need to have a righteousness like mine in order to get in. You don't have it. Your religious elite, they don't have it. They think they do, but they, they don't have it. Because it's not just a mere external performance. It is a transformation of the heart. And they don't have it. You don't have it. Only I have it. I came to fulfill all of it. And then, then in 7.12, this verse ties everything back to 5.20. But look at, look at 7.21. We just read it. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will what? What's the context? Will enter the kingdom of heaven. We'll study this passage in a few weeks. But I just want you to see that there's a clear connection between the entrance into the kingdom and the righteousness that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Not everyone who says Lord will enter. And at the end of the sermon, Jesus here is very explicit. No one enters this kingdom unless they have this righteousness. Do you see it? No one answers. Notice that you can even call Jesus your Lord. And in addition, you can do miracles in his name. But without his righteousness being credited to you, you have absolutely no access. You have no entrance. You have no gate. Again, Jesus is pleading with God's people to enter the, the cho and choose the, the narrow path because they're not on it. Just think about this. Think about the audience of, of this sermon, who's listening, who's responding, who's wrestling in their hearts with the words of Jesus. These are God's chosen people to whom belonged the promises and, and the glorious privileges of the Old Testament. These are the very people. This is the very nation through whom Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world. And now this Jewish Messiah speaks to the Jewish nation and says, you need to get off the broad road and you need to enter in through the narrow gate. You want to get into the kingdom? You need me. Look to me. I am your only chance. That's it. You, you have no other options. Friends, the, the good news that came to Jews first, right, it came to them first, but they needed to be saved just like everyone else. And how much more do we, Gentiles, who were not part of the original covenant, this just goes to show you that, that each person must choose, each sinner must resolve in his heart, personally, individually, to trust Jesus Christ. You cannot inherit your way into the kingdom. Children who are among us, you must believe in Jesus and you must repent of your own sins to be with Jesus in heaven. Belonging to Christian parents is, is not enough. Young men and young women here in our midst, 
Religion by association is dead. You, you cannot get in just because you know someone who has a pass. Just because you associate, maybe they're your best friend. Listen, you can't lift someone else's faith. You must own it. You must personally choose that you're going to follow Jesus. So the command is, is straightforward. Enter. Friend, enter through the narrow gate. How? He tells you, through the narrow gate. Through the narrow gate. Now, this word narrow means to be restrictive. It means to be tight. Like there's no extra room. It's not roomy. It's not broad. There's no extra space for your luggage or your baggage and, and just other stuff. Most commentators, they, they employ a very helpful description, a turnstile. Remember, uh, I don't know if you've ever gone to a theme park. I'm sure many of you have. You purchase a ticket and then you walk up to the gate and you have an individual who nowadays they scan you, make sure you're not a threat, right? And then you come up to a turnstile and you take off your backpack, you take off your purse and it's literally just you and the clothes that you have on you and that's it. And then you go in through the turnstile, one at a time, on your own. It's an individual decision to pass through. You can't bring your kid along, you can't bring your wife along, you can't bring the entire family along. This is not a gate that just opens up to you and you just come on in. No, individual, one at a time, Everything is stripped down, just you. Now, enter through, Jesus says, the narrow gate. What is this narrowness that he is talking about? It is not a restriction to anyone who wants to come. That's not what he's talking about. Listen, anyone can come. Everyone is welcome to come. Any person from any background, with any skin color is welcome to come. Salvation is totally open to all people for God so loved who? The world. Anyone can come. Whosoever wills, let him come. If you hear the command, come. You're not excluded. You're not being discriminated against. It's open. Just come. But notice that the exclusivity and the narrowness of this command or of this gate is based on the Savior, not the people. In other words, if you're going to come and if you're going to choose the gate, that gate is narrow because of Jesus. That gate is narrow because that's your only option. Jesus is your only option. That's why the gate is narrow. The gate, friends, is Jesus Christ. It's the only way to the kingdom of heaven, and that is through Jesus, not by works, not by miracles as we read here. Check this out. Not even by obedience. Not even by obedience do you get in to the kingdom. It is through Christ, on the basis of his work alone, based on his righteousness that's credited to you. We have plenty of passages we can go to. I'll give you three, John 10, nine. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. 
See, that's a promise that you can take to the bank. That's the word that you can hear and you don't have to doubt. Jesus says, I'm the door. You enter through me, you trust me, you will most definitely be saved. That's not enough. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Through me. In Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given to man by which we must be saved. If we are going to be saved, friends, it is only, it is only through Jesus Christ. You have no other option. I have no other option. No other alternative is presented to us. Any sinner, it's open to any sinner. Any sinner can come by faith and repentance, but there's only one gate. And there's only one way to life, and that is through Jesus Christ. So allow me to ask you this morning, have you entered? Have you entered? Have you chosen this gate? Is Jesus your righteousness this morning, or are you still convinced that you can make it on your own? Are you still trying to, I don't know, maybe jump the fence somehow, find another sneaky route in order to get in, into the kingdom? Choose the narrow gate. Now, here's the question. Why, why choose the narrow gate? Why choose this alternative? He follows up Jesus with two reasons why. And first of all, he says, choose the narrow gate because all other alternatives, they lead to destruction. That's why. Verse 13, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it. The gate is wide. Now, it's the opposite of narrow, right? If you were to play opposites, what's the opposite of narrow? Wide. What's the opposite of restricted? Not restricted. Just add all the knots there. What's the opposite of tight? Lose. Not tight. There's a lot of room. There's room for everybody. Like, if you're lazy and you don't want to take your stuff off, like your backpack and your purses and take the kids out of your strollers when you're being scanned to go into the theme park, you're like, nah, forget it. I'm just going to get in. Can I get through that gate? They will open the RV access for you and you can just walk right through. You can go through with all of your belongings, your entire family. This is an inviting gate. It doesn't force you to do anything. Not only is the gate wide, it says the way is broad. The way is broad. L listen, once you get through the wide gate, it doesn't grow narrow. It just stays wide. It's as wide as the gate. And the idea that's communicated here by this term wide is freedom. Freedom. Listen, come all, come one, Come 50, 500, it doesn't matter. Freedom. No obstacles, no restrictions. 
No limits of any kind. Just be who you want to be, be who you are, and do whatever you want to do. No pressure, just relaxation at its finest. No one's party is ruined on this road, friends. Why? It's all inclusive. Everybody can do whatever they want to do. There's plenty of space for all. You're not constricted. This word broad means that you're not being forced into a tight space. There's plenty of room for everybody, for all kinds of ideas. You name it, it's there. Unrestricted freedom. We like freedom, don't we? We love freedom. We live in the land of the free. And whenever someone tells us to do something that we don't like or doesn't necessarily compute with us and, and, and it restricts us, we just do what? Disobey and we say, hey, listen, this is the land of the free. We have our rights. We have our privileges. Why? Because rightly so, freedom is attractive. Freedom is attractive. It appeals to all. And this is why Jesus goes on to say at the end of verse 13 that there are many who enter through it. Many who enter through this gate. Now, how do we make sense of this then? Listen, the Broadway church is the popular way. It's the way everyone is going. Why? Because the Broadway is the easy way. Those who are on this way, they're not considering what's up ahead. They're enjoying life now. And you dare not ruin my fun. You know what I'm saying? Now. It's all about now. It's all about the leisure and the pleasure and the enjoyment of today. And here's the reality that scripture elsewhere presents for us, that there are only two ways. And everyone enters this Broadway by birth. You don't have to choose. You're, you're already on it. Because everyone is birthed in sin. Every new soul, although birthed into this life, it remains dead in sin. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says and Romans chapter 3 and numerous other passages. And by proxy, they enter onto this Broadway. Everybody is there. Everybody's traveling up. Everybody's doing what they want to do. They're pleasing themselves with whatever they want to please themselves. It's all inclusive. You believe in that God? No problem. You believe in this version of Jesus? Come on in. There's room for you too. Everybody is there. That's why it's the most popular. What's more, every single world religion, including atheism, Hinduism, Islam, Mormonism, Catholicism, that's the broad way. That is the broad way. Pharisees, go back to, to the context of Matthew 5 through 7, who are primarily concerned about mere external behavior as a form of righteousness, they're on the broad way. That's what Jesus has been telling them. Those who focus on man's applause rather than receiving reward from God, they're on the broad way. In other words, Anyone who denies his total inability and looks only to Christ's sufficiency is on the Broadway, friends. There are many who are on the Broadway. So Paul teaches in 
the whole of Colossians that if you were to take Jesus Christ and you were to add something to Jesus Christ, then you don't have Christ. Jesus plus something else is the broad way. It is not the gospel. That is why Catholicism is damning. If you don't trust Christ alone for your salvation, then you're still on the wide road. And, and, and here it is. Consider the end. Jesus, we can trust Jesus. He knows. He knows the end from the beginning. Therefore, he tells them, consider the end. Don't be fooled. It's the road that leads to destruction. And here's the thing. We, we miss this in our English Bibles, but the Greek te text here, it, it helps us a little bit because it has a very tiny little word that we're missing here in our English Bibles before the word destruction. And that is the definite article. Those of you who were in our class, Bible study made simple. We talked about parts of speech, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, and we talked about the definite article versus indefinite article. Anyways, grammar aside, the way the broad way that leads, it says, to the destruction. To the destruction. And Jesus here emphasizes for his hearers a specific kind of destruction. Not just a destruction, like it's just one of many kinds of destruction, but the destruction. It's a one-of-a-kind destruction. What is he talking about? Well, this word destruction here, it means to be ruined, to be lost, to to perish. It means to be eternally separated from God. Here's what Jesus is saying. At the end of this broad road is eternal damnation. That's it. And, and listen, friends, not in the sense of being wiped out of existence because some people would prefer that. Some people believe that. Like, who cares about this life? As soon as you breathe your last breath, you expire and you're done. You go out of existence. That is nonsense. Why? Because the scripture says that your soul is eternal. The only difference is, is your soul secure in Christ or not? It's the only difference. If not, when the time for the final judgment comes, you will be cast away from the presence of God into a place the scripture calls the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, look at what he will say in, in 723. And I will declare to them. I will pronounce to them. He says in verse 23, I never knew you depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. This is essentially what he says in, in John 10. 27, where he says, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Perish and they will never perish. This perish word is exactly the same word as our term here, destruction. They will never be fully and finally destroyed. They will never be separated from God. I will never allow anyone to snatch them out from my hand. Now, the flip side is also true then. Those who do not choose the narrow gate will perish. 
they will be cast out. They will be damned. In another passage in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This word lost is exactly the same word as perish and destroyed. That which is in the process of being in in the state of lostness. Everyone who's on this broad way is lost. They are not yet finally lost, but they're getting there. The end of that road is final loss. It is final destruction. Everyone who's on that road is separated from God today. Jesus says, I came to find those who are separated, those who are lost, to rescue the perishing, to save, and to resurrect the dead to life. And if you, however, remain in that state of lostness and separation while on the Broadway at the end of the road, you will be eternally damned. I mean, talk about sobering truth. Talk about Jesus caring for sinners and warning them of what is to come. Is this not the most loving thing that Jesus can do? Know in the end, he can speak to us and say, friend, I know where you're going. And I want you to know where you're going. And unless you choose the narrow gate, you will be eternally separated. So it's a matter of life and death. It's so sobering. His conclusion to the sermon is not trivial. Choose today, Jesus says, the road you're going to travel. Choose the narrow gate. Because the Broadway leads to destruction. But that's not all. That's not all. Why choose the gate? Well, because the Broadway leads to destruction. But here's another reason. Because you're convinced that the narrow way leads to life. Right? Because you listen to these words. Because you heard the gospel maybe a week ago or 10 or 15, or maybe 20, or 30, or 40 years ago, and you became so convinced that what Jesus is saying is truth, that you trusted him, that you believed him, that the end of this life with Christ will lead to eternal flourishing, eternal life with God. Number three, the narrow way leads to life. Why are you convinced? Christians, those who are here, if I was going to ask you to stand up and tell me, why are you convinced? Why are you following Jesus Christ today? Isn't the Broadway more appealing? I mean, you can do anything you want to do. And maybe even internally, you're just fighting and you're saying, because I'm a Christian, I can't do A, B, C, and D. But then you turn to Christ and you're like, well, but, but Christ. But Christ, why are you convinced? Because you believe in Christ, right? Because you look at 7, 13, and 14, and you believe these words. Because Jesus tells you. I love what God says in Isaiah 46, 9, and 10. He says, I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Who else is going to tell you that? Sometimes you wish 
even in the process of booking the next vacation, some, sometimes you wish that someone would sit next to you and tell you, man, this is the best decision that you've made and you're going to enjoy this stay there. It's going to be the best time of your life. But you just kind of hope. Here's what Jesus tells you, that if you choose life, because I know you will live forever. God knows, he sees, he declares, and he says only the narrow way leads to life. Why forsake the path of no restrictions, of no obstacles, of no limitation? Why forsake the path of ultimate freedom? Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Really, really like this section, the opening parts here of, of 1 Peter chapter 4 because it's so encouraging to us as Christians. <clears throat> look, look at what Peter writes to, to his readers here in, in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of your time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And look at, in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same accesses of dissipation and they malign you. But, but, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Why, why did I point you to this passage here. Listen, these brothers and these sisters, these Christians, they're being maligned. The world looks at these Christians and says, you are stupid. You are crazy. You've traded the freedom of the Broadway for what? For what? For rules? For purity? You can no longer drink. You can no longer be lustful, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. You mean to tell me that you've forsaken all of that for what? Curfews? Because they're out of your mind. That's what the world says and says they malign you. Verse four, they look at this and they are surprised that you are no longer running with them where? On the Broadway. And they think you're dumb. But the Christian response is, no, I'm alive. I have believed in Jesus Christ. My destination is glorious. I know where I'm going. Maybe hard now, maybe difficult today. I know where I'm going because this path leads to life. Friend, do you want to have life? Then come through the gate that is small, that is unattractive and live and live. It says the gate is small. The gate is narrow. Just like the, 
the, again, he repeats from verse, um, go back to Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, he says, the gate is narrow. He, he says the same thing here, that the way remains narrow. For the gate is small, exactly the same word as the narrow gate in verse 13. And then he says, and the way is narrow, your Nazbi. It, it has the idea of being difficult. Just like the gate is small and narrow, the way is also narrow, but it's also difficult. Uh, listen to how this term is defined. It means to be crowded against. It means to suffer hardship, to be oppressed, to be afflicted, or to be distressed. So maybe those who are laughing at Christians, they're onto something, aren't they? Jesus says that this road is hard, friend. It's the opposite of the Broadway of the world. It's the way of Christ. It is difficult. It is hard. And, and literally, he says, this way you suffer. You suffer on this road. You have to say no to things and, and to friends on this road. You have to experience trials and troubles walking this path. But didn't Jesus already pronounce blessing to, to those who choose to follow him? In verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you? Why? Because of me? Because of Jesus? You, they, they've entered the narrow gate and then they followed their leader. And that's why they're oppressed. Why should his followers escape the treatment that the leader got? That's what he was saying in John 10, 18, and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. In other words, if you were still on the Broadway, people love each other on the Broadway. But because you're not of the world, you're no longer there. But I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. But not only are are we being persecuted by the world? We're also suffering from the effects of sin, don't we? I mean, that's why it's good to be here this morning and just to once again be reminded that Jesus paid it all. I mean, Christian walk is hard. Anyone who says that it's not is, is just lying. It's hard. But it's glorious. I mean, listen, you're, you're trying to oftentimes build your spiritual muscle to respond to the strong temptation of sin. And at times, because you're in the word and, and you're relying on the spirit, God gives you the ability to overcome and to prevail, but often you just fall flat on your face and you've overcome. You fail. Temptation just <clears throat> wipes you out. And you're reminded again and again why you need Jesus in the first place. And so maybe you're here this morning and you just need to hear and you need to be reminded that Jesus is your righteousness. It's not your performance. If it was your performance, God would have allowed you to at least try, but he did, and Adam failed, and we all fail in Adam. There's no point of trying. That's why we need Jesus. And so sometimes you might be wondering, is it all worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Well, Jesus says here, it's worth it. Jesus says it's worth it. 7.14 says, this way leads to life. And just like it was the destruction, same thing here in verse 14. It leads to the life. 
Not just a life, but the life. The life. Eternal, everlasting, joyful life with Christ. And although the believers today have this life, yet this life here is yet future. It says it leads to life. This road is not popular. Look at that at the end. Not many people find it. Not many people enter through the narrow gate. Friend, here's the call. Here's the deal. If you want to be popular, don't enter the gate. Don't follow Jesus. If you want to be popular, don't follow Jesus. Listen, the Broadway, it offers all popularity and all freedom. Stay on that path and go off the cliff with everyone who wants to be popular. You know, the picture is you can be happy all your life, all the way up to the judgment hour. Wild and free, not care about anything. But here, the destination matters. Listen, but if you have eternal life, if you want eternal life, come to Christ and follow him. Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ keeps you going on this way. It keeps you persevering. It locks you in and it prepares you to the finish line. And get this, even if no one is heading with you, you're going. You're going. Even if you feel alone, but you're, you're going. You're pursuing. You remember that song? Old song, I have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus. Remember that song? Well, I don't know if you remember the second verse of this song, and it, it goes like this, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. And what's the last phrase? No turning back. No turning back. Why? Why aren't you turning back? Well, because it's glorious up ahead. And you believe in Jesus. And you believe his word. It leads to life. That's why you don't turn back. Even if nobody's walking with you, you are walking. Why? Because the end is Glorious church. Contrary to popular opinion, there's only one way to life, and that is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So trust him. Would you just trust him who knows and choose to enter? At the end, I just want to read John Stott's comment here. He says, enter. Notice how here, as so often in the teaching of Jesus, we are challenged to decide. There's no comfortable middle ground embracing most of us and leaving on either side the very good and the very bad. How comfortable it would have been were that the case. But Christianity is not about being very good or very bad or very comfortable. It's about being in God's kingdom or staying out. It's about allegiance to God or rebellion. It's about being on the road that starts narrow but opens up into the life of heaven or staying on the broad road of self-centeredness until it contracts to a dead halt in final destruction. An awesome choice. And we find that at the end of the sermon, we are not permitted merely to admire the teaching. We are challenged to bow to the preacher. Have you entered? Are you on the road? Are you in? Have you responded? 
you, you, you cannot be passive listener. There are only two ways. If you've trusted in Christ, praise the Lord that you're in. And I trust that many of you here this morning have trusted in Christ. Now is the time for all of us to thank our God for opening up our eyes to behold and to see Jesus Christ and to choose Christ. Are you struggling on the way? Are you suffering here this morning? Don't let the present pressures bind you and blind you to the future promises, to the future glories. Are you not in this morning? Then you need to trust the Lord. If you're not in, you need to trust the Lord. All other ways, yes, they do lead to God. All other ways do lead to God. But they lead to the judgment, not to eternal glory. Inevitably, whatever way you choose, you will stand before God. But only one way leads to glory. Now, if you've entered as the one who knows the way, do you warn those who are on the Broadway? I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I know. Now, we know. We all know. We all experience. We all rejoice. Do you warn? Do you warn your children? Do you warn your friends? Do you warn your neighbors? Do you warn the unbelievers around you who are still on the Broadway? Please do. It's the most loving thing you could ever do. In everything, therefore, to treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophet. You'd appreciate if someone told you that booking that retreat would stink. And you did when they told you. How much more serious is this? Our Father, we thank you for the sober truth we thank you that you gave us grace to see and to behold Jesus and to believe, to take these words at face value. I pray for those who are in our midst may not be in the kingdom. Would you draw them? Would you open their eyes so that they may choose, so that they may enter? And may we compel others to come to Christ. We ask these things and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.